Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm Nick Lewis. I'm your host. Thank you for joining me once again today on this wonderful Monday. Today's guest, he definitely raised the level of play. When I would look across the field, and there were so many talented receivers in the CFL, there were two and three and four on every team, and then there was this guy. You knew he was going to bring it. You knew he was going to especially the Edmonton-Calgary battles that would go down to the wire, whoever had the ball last, whoever made the last big play. And most of the time it was this guy making those plays. It was fun to go against him. It was even better to be his teammate for one year. Wish it would have been longer, but we got it done. I'll thank him for coming on the podcast, sharing growing up in New Orleans. Still wanting to give back and help the kids in New Orleans. This is a great episode that I can't wait for you to hear. Without further ado, this is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Today's guest is from New Orleans, Louisiana. and He went to the University of Louisiana Lafayette. He spent some time in the NFL with the 49ers, Baltimore Ravens, and Jacksonville Jaguars before heading to Canada to the Edmonton Eskimos. He's a four-time CFL All-Star. He had five consecutive 1,000-yard seasons, and he finished his career with Montreal Alouettes as my teammate. In his career, he had 8,411 yards and 54 touchdowns in nine years. Welcome to the show, Fred Stamps. What's up, brother? What's up, my brother? <laughs> Doing good, don't it? Man, feel good, man. Feel good. How, how's everything been going with you? Man, everything been good, man. Just now here with the family, and uh, the boy is keeping me busy, man. Boys keeping me busy, just trying to stay cool from this hot weather. Little, little Freddie P, man, I bet he's got all the girls, little girls right now. Man, I gotta stop that. I gotta stop that band, man. You know, all he wanna, all he wanna do is, is, is play Fortnite on online with his buddies and everything like that. And um, you know, I've been having him out working out and stuff like that. So he, he's, he's been enjoying it. He gonna be an athlete or he gonna be a model? Oh. <laughs> I don't know, man. Right now, he he told me he want to retire from football at an early age. So <laughs> <laughs> after the workout today, he was he was he was done. He was done, man. You've been training kids down there a lot. Like how yeah. how many years you've been training kids, and and where you at? Man, I started up in uh 2017, and man, it's been rolling ever since, man. So I'm out here in Texas in, in Houston, and we've been trying to put in a lot of work with these kids out here, especially since um everything that's going on. They're missing a lot of work with their team and stuff like that, so they definitely need the extra work on the side. Is it just um, like skill training or condition training, or do y'all do everything? Man, we do everything. We uh, just the other day we pull out a uh, had them doing one on ones, and we had them um, just going just going at it, you know, just trying to compete, just trying to compete in a. They've been having they've been having a blast, man. So hopefully everything kind of straighten up for these kids to get back to football, man. Because I know they miss it, and you know everybody trying to figure out what's going on. So I don't know what to tell them. You know the schools don't know what to tell them. So we just kind of just waiting, just waiting around. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. right now. Yeah, man, it's yeah. definitely crazy. How, how is it up there? It's not bad. You know, you're it's getting a little bit here and there. Um, I see Sass got some cases today for the first time in like six weeks, like really? two cases. 
So it's not bad. I mean, a lot of people wear masks. Some people don't. But it's really just on... I just feel like there they've politicized everything. Yeah. Right? So they made everything a political stance on if you're going to wear a mask or not. Right. And just How you feel it about way, it? How you feel about the mask? I don't care. I, I wear what's called a fresh air personal. So it protects my two, spe- two feet around my, uh, my person. So it protects my face. It protects me from anybody. And it protects everybody from me because it just knocks everything down out of the air, right? So I've been wearing that instead of wearing a mask, but I believe most people should wear masks. I mean, if you're going somewhere where there's going to be crowded places, put a mask on. I mean, what does it hurt? Most definitely. You know what I'm saying? What does it hurt? And if you're going <laughs> if you're going out to the beach or something, I, I understand you. not wearing it. Right, right. I'll tell you one thing, it's real. It's, it's definitely something real, man. My family down in uh, Louisiana, they all they all caught it. So um, thankfully, none of them really had too too bad of a reaction of it. But um, mm, that's good. They, they kind of went through it. You know, they kind of went through the whole process, and um, they told me it wasn't nothing to play with. Yeah. How is New Orleans with all with everything going on? Um, I, for the most part. It, it's, uh, I think it's going back down to shut down, shut down stage. Um, they're gonna kind of shut shut everything back down, just because the cases is building so rapidly out in the south, uh, the Houston, New Orleans area. Um, it's starting to take over the whole South Louisiana part. So um, mm. it's just you know, no no one knows what's going on. So we just kind of just playing it by ear, man. Yeah, and one of the things that sucks is that you know New Orleans is a tourist town, right? So. Right. You get a lot of tourism in New Orleans, and it's not expensive. So, you know what I'm saying? So they depend on that tourism. Most definitely. Most right. definitely. And definitely. now we're not having that for months on months. And, you know, I wish they would have just shut it down the first time and did it right the first time, like everybody else did, and then we might be all right. Yeah, but you got to think, it was like, you know, after what happened the past few weeks, the past month, with all the protesting, you know what I mean? Like, that's just yeah. rapid trade right there, you know what I mean? So, um, it's it just, like, it's just tough, man. It's just a tough situation um, that everyone is going through right now, you know what I mean? Yeah. Louisiana has had its fair share of of unarmed people getting killed. How you feel about all that? Say the truth, Nick, I... Um, it's it's definitely sometimes that we gotta really you know pay attention to and um, understand the climate of the world and where we fit into that world's picture. You know what I mean? Um, we definitely gotta raise our kids different. You know what I mean? Yeah. And let them understand it's not it's not out of any fear or anything. You know we just gotta let them you know teach them the right way to kind of move around and maneuver and you know. Hopefully everything. It's crazy that we still talk about these type of things in 2020, but you know, it's crazy. With a lot of push right now, hopefully everything changed for the good, man. Yeah, you know, you've always been a positive role model. Like since I've known you, since you've been in the league, um, you always hear about the positive things that you do. Uh, we had a conversation about you um, wanting to do something for the kids in New Orleans. Can you kind of right. share? What, you, what your idea was of, of wanting to 
help the kids? You know what, it's just um, just showing the different environments. You know, um, you know, kids out here in, in Texas, you know, every, every place have, um, you know, different environments. But, you know, it's just something about the kids down in Louisiana, man. You, If you was to go and just ride through the city of New Orleans and um, you'll just understand what those kids deal with on a daily basis and and how, you know, how how the ladder, how high the ladder is to just to get out those situations. Yeah. How, how far you have to climb up, you know what I mean? The mountain is really tall and it takes a lot of drive, but um, it takes a lot of leadership and a lot of um, guys around you kind of showing you the right way, you know? So, um, yeah. you know, it's almost like you, you, you reach one, you teach one, you know, you, you, you're trying to take your life experiences that you dealt with, you know what I mean? And, you know, you try to give it, give it back, yeah. give it yeah. back to them and show them, um, you know, it's almost like a blueprint. Yeah. You yeah. know, you put up just things that you've been through. Every kid, you can't show every kid the exact blueprint. They have to learn on their own, but at least you could kind of put up some kind of stop here, stop there. Don't go this way. Don't do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just to kind of get where you want to be in life, man, because it, you know, it takes a village. To, it, it honestly takes a village, especially situations when you're coming from, you know, fatherless homes and stuff like that. So, um, you know, motherless homes, you know, kids out there, just, just put your mind like this. All right. Let's look at it like this. You have a 14 year old kid, right? Yeah. Um, he have three siblings. He do, he's the oldest. Um, his his dad is not his dad is not home. His mom um, mm. maybe off somewhere. You know what I mean? Or maybe work late night shifts. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Vice yeah. versa, whatever. Um, so this kid got to provide for his siblings. So how like you know the mom provide for him if she's working, but if she's not, what if she's like? you know, taking pills or something like that, because that's the reality that we deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. You know yeah. Um, this kid want to play football, but this kid want to go to school, but he got to find a way to provide for his family, for his little brothers and sisters. And I have cops, I have cousins, they, they cops down in New Orleans, and they, they run into situations like this all the time. You know what I mean? Um, a little 14-year-old kid trying to get money from somewhere, you know, uh, to try to work, he have to be away from his brothers and sisters working. You know what I mean? Uh, can't go to school. It's almost like you have to choose to go to school and work a place. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, kids need need better opportunities. You know what I mean? So um, it's it's more than just you know things that you think we know. It's way worse. That make that makes sense? Oh, hundred percent. It's way worse. So um, that's just one of the things that um, I look into, man, just coming from that environment and understanding. It's almost like you're making it out. And, you know, it's like you winning. It's like you won a lottery when really you don't see the, the lottery money. That makes sense when I'm saying it? Yep. So, yeah, man, I, I guess that's the, the way I can explain it. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you see a lot of kids like that. Um, yeah. especially in those poor neighborhoods and especially going back with the, you know, with drugs or with drinking, with other different things that have caused um, our kind of our culture to 
decline in, in a lot of places. Yeah. You know, where the kids do have to take care of their siblings. Yes, you know, man. If I don't if I don't feed them, they don't eat. They don't eat. Right? So ten wait, years wait. old. Ten years exactly. old is cooking, you know, and making sure that homework's done, make sure this is done. And a lot of them only see, you know, it's very unfortunate right now because like if you look at our people, you only see the three things that most males want to be by the age of 12 or 13. So he's a professional athlete, a rapper, or a drug dealer. A hood superstar, neighborhood superstar. That's it. It's yeah. not, it has nothing to do with being a doctor, a lawyer. Um, it's not, it has nothing to do with doing something you can do for the rest of your life. Right. And sustaining that. Right. And sustaining that uh, income forever. But it's just about, you know, being famous. And there's, I think a lot of cultures right now are caught up on the famous thing, right? Because social media has taken off. But but if, but it's true, right? Like if, if if someone told Nick Lewis as a young age, like you were going to be a professional football player, like you would never, like think about it. Like it's You would have never thought so. But you really believe, like the thing about it, like if we if we teach our kids, like right, just like this, um, a kid could really be whatever he, they want to be in life. Yeah, they just gotta know how to get there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They gotta have that blueprint to get there, and that's just one of the things that I feel like you know, um, somebody like you, do somebody like me, you know, other guys, you know, that 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 made it to certain levels and high levels, um, could reach back and you know give, you know, just kind of just speak knowledge, man. Because I ain't gonna lie to you, man. Anytime we step out, man, and we go. We go somewhere, man. Those kids' eyes light up like we <laughs> big time superstars. You know what I mean? But yeah, you know, you know, it's just, just, just a little. It's just the little things, you know, that that kind of drive them and push them. And I hope that catapults them to the next, really, to a high level. You know what I mean? Yep, hundred percent. What's the What's the greatest joy you get out of training the kids? Man, I love seeing these kids getting better, man. I love seeing these kids getting better, man. I had a couple guys uh, from this 12U, um, this Texas 12U uh, flag football team, and they won a championship uh, a couple weeks back. And it's just like, just to see the transition from when I first got to first got these guys until, you know, to keep see them playing this in high school. You know what I mean? I have uh, two college guys that I didn't seen from sophomores in high school. Now, you know, one is gonna be the starting. Uh, Running back at Tulsa uh, coming up, and awesome. the other, one, yeah, the other one is uh, over at Air Force. Like these guys, playmakers, man. You know, and I when I first got them, you know, you kind of seen it. It had some type of ability, but you know, you just add a little, little bit here and there, and they just take off from there, man. Yeah, you got to sculpt it. Yeah, take off from there. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite meal? And I'm a seafood eater, man. I'm a crawfish eater. Seafood, <laughs> shrimp, uh, fried fish. Uh, like the etouffee uh, or? Etouffee, like, that's my that's my meal. You know what I mean? Like, straight New Orleans, <laughs> gumbo. <laughs> Can you explain to people what etouffee is? Etouffee, uh, that's more of a Cajun. That's more of a Cajun. That's like my wife, she's uh, from the Lafayette, Lake Charles area. So she's yeah. more Cajun. Down in New Orleans, we more Creole. So we... Uh, 
so the etouffee, you can make it like a shrimp etouffee. It's like a little red gravy and some rice and stuff like that. Um, um, you can make a, uh, people make like a, all kind of etouffees, you know, like etouffee yeah. is almost like a jambalaya type. That makes sense? Yeah. So you can make so, a sausage jambalaya, shrimp jambalaya, stuff like that. Speak to us about the difference of uh, Creole and Cajun. So you ever seen Water Boy? Yeah. <laughs> you see the coast that be. Yeah, I'm not. I don't water. Oh, the He Cajun. <laughs> he Cajun. Uh, Creole. <laughs> he crazy. That's Cajun right there. That's Cajun. That's the more of the Lafayette, the Bro Bridge, the Lake Charles area. That's like southern, southern west Louisiana, west in the south of West Louisiana. Um, New Orleans, like a Creole people, for us, like um, when you go back into a mixture, like a gumbo pot of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. You might have a, a a black guy with green eyes. You know what I mean? Like you, that's just <laughs> how it, that's just how it goes. Just a big gumbo pot down there, man. Have Have you ever been on the Vampire Tour in New Orleans? No, but I tell you, um, <laughs> walking through the French quarters. Yeah, <laughs> I tell you, no lie, Nick. I'm no lie, bro. Like I'm telling you, you walk through the French quarters at night. Like um, certain areas in the French quarters, like you'll see like these cats walking around in long trench coats with, and they be pale as shit. You know what I mean? And they, you know. They have like the eyes be glowing and shit like that, but you know, no vampire in Brooklyn types. You know what I mean? Like that just you'll see you'll see them walking, but they don't bother nobody. You don't see them fly off as a bat <laughs> like that. But Turn you'll see a big them dog. walking most definitely. The vampires, yeah, big ass werewolf. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I, I seen a documentary on it, and they actually have people that come in and they let them suck their blood. They'll prick their arm or something and let them suck their blood. And like, there's people down there that actually go through like they they suck the blood out of people. They go to the bars and they have like these vampire bars, and they will actually like prick people and then suck on their arms and stuff. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't I stay away from all that. I don't know nothing about that. But I did see the I see did see the guys in the trench coat in the summer. With the high boot, black boots, with the glowing eyes, pale, with the long hair. <laughs> he walk up on you and say, what's up, what are you doing? Down. What? Come on, man. <laughs> we, I just I just stay on the other side of the street. I ain't going to interact with him. I ain't going to talk to him. Now they come out with something, might have to run. <laughs> <laughs> That's the cool thing about New Orleans, man, is like, you know how kind of like Montreal was? You could wear anything. We get on the uh, the train, you might see somebody in costumes, uh, whatever. Like, man. people just wear whatever. Like, it don't matter. Man, I tell you, uh, you know, when we stayed in Montreal, we was downtown Montreal, like in the old Montreal. Man, that Montreal remind me so much of New Orleans, like the streets, the uh, – just the way the buildings and everything, man. It's it's like it's just like downtown New Orleans, like the French Quarter area, just like it. Yeah. Have you been to the uh, old Absinthe House down What's there? That? Absinthe is a um, they had banned it for a while because they said it makes you hallucinate. But it's a it's a liquor. You gotta make you gotta pour. Well, you put the absinthe in a glass, 
then you gotta like kind of melt sugar into it and then you gotta put water in it to dilute it. Nah, I never heard of that. It kinda take like licorice. But you have the like the oldest oh, acid the house in North America is in is on the is on Bourbon Street. I don't want no parts of it. I'm gonna meet you down there. We're gonna I'm gonna <laughs> take you down there. Hey, the last time I drank it, my toes went numb. So this is the stuff that's <laughs> when it was by your house in Montreal, by your apartment. You said it, and this is the stuff you're talking about that make you go numb. Yes. The highest percentage of alcohol. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't want no parts of that. <laughs> <laughs> you like we'll try, so if you if you come you come down there, I'll, I'll try it if you come down there. Okay, I don't even like uh, licorice, but it kind of tastes like black li licorice a little bit. Like I hate black licorice, but yeah, I, I like, like absinthe. Licorice I like I absinthe. Like I don't like it either. I never taste it, so I I gotta just try it, I guess. <laughs> but if it tastes like licorice, I don't know. When when COVID hit, what were you doing, and like how much did it change? And when COVID hit, I was uh, so I have transportation uh, company. We, we transport transport kids back and forth to school. COVID hit in March, shut everything mm -hmm. down. Um, uh, my wife she started doing homeschool. She finished off the year homeschooling. My kid finished off the year homeschooling. It just was like it okay. We just gonna do this for two weeks. Then two weeks turned into a month. You know, then it just kept going on for that. Um, that's just kind of the information that we was getting. But um, other than that, man, it's just, you know, it just hit me by shock. Just hit me the way it hit everybody else. Like, man, what's going on, you know? Yeah. You're out there by Katie, yeah. right? Yeah. Bo Leviville. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, um, a few miles away from high school, man. Actually, I had one of their receivers today. A little kid high school receiver today. The kid is smooth. He's, he's cold-blooded, Nick. Oh, yeah? Tell me about it. How tall is he's he? He's smooth. Like, he uh, he's about 5'10". He's just a natural He's just a natural receiver. Like, he's just one of those guys that's natural. He got a cast on his hand, and he, he caught damn everything came to him. So all he needed is one. You know what the crazy part about um, Texas is? Yeah. A lot of the great schools, the state championship schools, they don't have a lot of college athletes. Like when my brother and them were winning, they only have like one or two guys go D1 a year, like five go play football a year. Like it wasn't like they're playing teams out of Houston with 12 guys that's going D1 the next year. Yeah, but you know why? Because they have so many schools out here. Yeah, like you gotta think it, Yeah, you got to think um, in one area, they have so many high schools. Like, just in my area, you probably got seven, six high schools. You know what I mean? You know, it's different from Louisiana. Like, you know, it's almost like high schools is kind of sprayed out. Yeah. And um, you have – so a lot of kids get kind of lost in the shuffle, like, you know, you be having cold-blooded football players, and they just get they just get looked over because of the way the recruiting system is right now. For us, you know, there's five star, four stars type of guys, but you might have a a two, three star. The guys a playmaker, you know. So that's just how it is. Too many high schools, man. It's all off height. Yeah. So <laughs> back in your 
Then Nick, if you, if hype was like this, like <laughs> how how much hype you would have at your time coming out of high school? Man, I was a zero star. I yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have no scholarship offers or anything. Man, did nobody want me? Did nobody Nick, know Nick, me? Nick, you was a baller, Nick. I don't the, know, okay. man. The sticky fingers, like nobody wanted sticky fingers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was, I was good, but I, I, I really didn't apply myself like that. When I was in high school, um, I was one of the better players always growing up. So it was never like I just fully had to go out and truly compete and love to compete. That was in college that I fell in love with competition that really changed my whole mindset of everything. Oh, wow. Right? If you love to compete, then you can you can do anything. Right? You were talking earlier about uh, just having that thought and the belief of being able to change your world and, and going on to do things and I'm actually reading a book right now called The Winner Effect. And that and it talks about that in chapter one. It talks about the mindset of successful people and do they have successful children. Then it talks about some of the psychology of the children and breaks down the type of kids that, you know, uh, basically some kids when they struggle, they'll say, I'm not smart enough or I'm not good enough. And some kids will say, well, I didn't try hard enough or I need to try harder. Right. So they're the, the kids that say, I, I need to try harder or they basically put it on themselves. The reason they failed, they become more successful and they trend upward. But the kids that say, I'm not smart enough or I'm not good enough or um, this is too hard. Those kids tend to stay on the flat line because the belief never enters them to actually take off. So you that's that's you gotta have some type of form of confidence in everything you do. Yeah. You know, if it's in the classroom, if it's on the football field, is it you know, anything like if you going if you go in a situation defeated, it like it don't mean it don't even make no sense to try. You know what I mean? So like that's how I, that's how I look at it. That's one of the things that I tell my son. Um, you know, you have your confidence, you know what I mean, and you always be humbled on top of everything, you know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of times people mistake your confidence for arrogance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I always say your your confidence, if it's genuine, then you're good. Right. Arrogance is like when it's not genuine and you're trying to do extra to, you know, try to get people to see. Exactly. If it's so, genuine, like just you tell by the way I walk, by the way that I approach what I'm doing. It's me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, like that's that's me. And that's just... That's just one of the things that a lot of kids like, you know, that that come that comes as that that comes at a certain age, you know what I mean? And and that's one thing that I realized is um like dealing with a lot of kids, you know, um if you look at kids that that really don't have a a, a father figure around a, you know, even you have, may have a mother, but a mother may have, you know, they have mothers carry themselves, you know, in different type of ways, you know. Yeah. You know, so um then we put that type of uh confidence into to the kids man one of my guys one of my buddies down in new orleans um he had one of his uh he have his thing called hold your own weight and he down in new orleans at, at saint Oak high school and he's like you know and his thing is accountability you know responsibility stuff like that um, yep and just that just that program where he came up you know what i mean us talking 
a lot of kids that get certain shit at 15 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some yeah. some men won't get the same stuff. They they won't get the same thing until they're 25 years old. That's how far behind we are. You know what I mean? Like us, you know, as some people, as a, you know, as a community, when you kind of look at a lot of different things, you know what I mean? Like kind of yeah. what goes on in the community, Nick. So like, you gotta send me that book, man. I wanna check that out, man. That's just something I could kind of uh, give out because self-confidence, man, could take you a long way. Yeah, and, and, and talking to these guys and girls on the podcast, and I always ask them about what makes people great and what, like I was talking to Damon Allen and what makes, what's your three things on a quarterback, right, that you look for? None of the three had to do with skills. I think that's right. where, you know, I think that's where a lot of people get confused. They think just because you're pro athlete, you're the best skilled player or the best this. Like, I could think my way through a game, mental. right? It's very right. mental. And I think that's where yeah. the, the lost is. You can see a lot of kids working on their skill level that takes them to college. Then if they don't separate themselves with their skill level in college, they fall behind because the mental level to be a pro, right? The install of the playbook. It's at a different level. Everything's just different, right? You gotta know, you gotta know so much. Right, so you gotta, you gotta really tune in and lock in. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I definitely, I definitely understand that, man, because to tell you the truth, Nick, I was one of those guys, man, like being in Edmonton, it was like every year we had a different a different playbook. So it's like you had to learn. As soon as you get something down, it's like you're switching it up. You know yeah. what I mean? And it, it was kind of the same way in Montreal. You know what I mean? Like as soon as we learn something, they switch it up. And, it, and it's just – that's something like when you get a good foundation. Like I had it Like that's what I'm saying. You have a good, solid foundation. Man, that, that could take you that, – that could take – anybody a long way you know what i mean but it's still yeah. at the top with great leadership you know what 100%. i mean and I, I feel like when i played with ricky even though everything was kind of up and down in edmonton ricky always kept the team boom you know what i mean kept them solid across the board and mike riley had the same mike riley kept the same way you know what i mean yeah solid across the board good leadership let's talk about let's little freddie yeah going up in new orleans what side of New Orleans you grew up in? I grew up in the Ninth Ward. Now, well, I'll let you talk about a little bit about where you grew up and how you grew up and the kind of environment you you came from. Uh, but throw Katrina in there as well and how that affected you and oh, affected man. New Orleans. Man, coming up in New Orleans, it was um... – so this is another <laughs> – it's crazy, man, because you think about it like, you 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 really don't have like you really don't have too many positive role models around you if you know what I'm saying you know what I mean like yeah. um, all you have is typical, Master P yeah it's 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 just a, <laughs> it's just a typical you know I had my older cousins you know they they always kept me at bay you know kind of keep me cool but they all everybody was dealing with their own situations um, but I came up in the uh, Desire Street Ministry and 
that's one of the that's one of the things that uh that kept us kind of cool when we was in high school. You know, we go to church. Uh, coach Mo, um, a high school receiver coach, they always kept us in. You know, just kept a hold of us, man, just because of the environment. You know what I mean? Like kind of making sure we back and forth to school and stuff like that, man. Because around us, man, we got cats. You know, you got you got guys. You see them at school one day, the next day they dead. You know what I mean? You come yeah. to school, you getting ready for a funeral the next week. So that's just kind of how it was, just just coming up. But um, I tell you, my high school football was cold blooded, though. We had a high, we had a cold blooded team. Who you have? Man, we had uh, we we was one of the the first schools to pop out with a five wide, four wide, and my high school quarterback, that boy. He he was cold blooded. He ended up playing uh, tight end at Tulane. I mean, not tight end, uh, cornerback at Tulane. But he just was a, a a big time player, man. Big time player, and we just had a lot of success in high school, man. You know. So that and we had almost every school in the nation after us. <laughs> That's it. That's the best way to have it. Yeah, man. So you know, it coming up in New Orleans, man. It was great, man. No lie, man. And um, you know, my, my mother took care of us and oldest out of five. And it just was a it just was, you know, single parent home and you know, family environment. You know what I mean? Yeah. How was that growing up being the oldest? What's the age difference? So I'm uh I'm 39. My um my little sister, she's 37. Charles, I have a 31-year-old little sister. Michelle, I have um and a set of twins, they twenty-seven. Okay. Yeah. So twelve so years at the so when you were twelve, you were having twins. Yeah, my, my, my mom have a set of twins and um, you know, my little sisters, they 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 grew up like uh one is in high school. Uh she grad she she's a, a teacher in a junior high. She went to the military, she's a Navy veteran. Um, another one of my little sisters, two of my little sisters, they, uh, they both, um, they let one in New Orleans, she cook and the one out here, uh, they cook, they have like food trucks and stuff like that. Okay. So they be making good money, uh, doing the, selling the food and everything like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you have to take care of them a lot? Being a yeah, single parent man. home, you was the, yeah, man, I, you was I, like the father figure. Most definitely. I had to do everything, but you know, that comes, that comes with, you know, that comes with the territory of being a big brother at what age did you really feel like you had to step up as the father figure like at what point was it that you were like this is what i have to do man i've been man i've been working since i was let me see since i was 13 so I, I used to work uh with my uncle um uh laying bricks he used to be mm. brick laying and the Set uh mixing the mortar and the and the um and the cement and stuff like that. So I always worked every summer. Um and I every every dime or dollar that I get, I used to give to my mom. Um, you know, making sure my little brothers and sisters had their summer school, clothes and stuff like that. My mom always worked, took care of us. You know, it's just always being a big big brother and always you know always want to look out for your little your siblings man just like anybody else would do you know what i mean yeah that's important just like anybody else would do because you see them be successful and you know that you played a major role in that 
because of what yeah. you did and how you carried yourself and how you approached, just approached life, really. Was oh man, I'm I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud. I'm proud of him, man. I'm 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 proud of him. My little one thing that one thing that kind of hurt me. Uh, I have a little brother. He uh um he got kind of caught up in the system um, down in New Orleans. 19 years old, went to jail for robbery, and this happened in back in uh, 2013. Um, and he's been locked up ever since. But um, that's one of the things that I I try to talk to talking to him about, you know, and just you know, like I said. Everybody kind of got to make the decisions in life, kind of, you know, what they deal with or whatever. But um, for the most part, now he's been locked up for six years, seven years now. And his mind, you could tell the difference from then to now. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, he, he's coming home soon and you know, he's going to be right on track. Yeah. It's good yeah. that you see the maturity starting to kick in and understanding. Right, I made a I made a mistake. Most definitely, right. and most definitely, man. He he's gonna be all right. He's gonna when be you, all right. When you were leaving, um, when you're going to picking a school, how'd you end up with Louisiana Lafayette? Man, it's crazy, man. I um, so I had Nick Saban sitting in my in my living room, uh, talking to me and my mom, and uh. I I I committed to uh, I committed to LSU coming out of high school like I'm, since my sophomore year um, and I my career my high school career just kind of jumped up really up there I jumped up at one year I had 26 touchdowns my senior year receiving you know and I had like leading uh, state 1600 yards and um, so a lot of schools started coming and um, at the time my mother she was kind of the transition of a, you know, kind of getting her life on path. And, and we had this, uh, we had a coach from LSU. He had got the head coaching job over at Louisiana Lafayette, the guy that was kind of recruiting me. And yeah. um, and that, that was a time when Nick Saban left Michigan State and went to LSU. So uh, Jerry Baldwin went over to Louisiana Lafayette, got the head coaching job. But we've been had a relationship with him and stuff like that while he was at LSU. And, um, you know, that's just one of those things, okay, so we got the relationship. Let me go over, you know, to Louisiana Lafayette. But man, um, that's just how it was, you know. You know, it was cool, man. I I just remember um, going there and uh, Louisiana Lafayette. It just like, like it's, that campus is just make you feel at home. If, yeah. If you know what I'm talking about, it was really a good campus. Yeah, Lafayette. Yeah. How far is that from uh, where you grew up? It was uh, two hours from New Orleans. Was two it hard leaving the the family at home? Nigga, I was ready to I was ready to get get going. Nigga, I ain't gonna lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to get going, man. I've been in New Orleans all my life, man. I was ready to get going. It was always like for me, my my parents, my dad was like, man, I don't think he'll ever leave my grandparents. I grew up with my grandparents, so. They were like, man, I don't think he's ever going to leave them. And then five days after I graduated, I moved to Dallas with my cousin. Yeah. And then, you know, stayed there in the summers, then went to Southern Arc. But, yeah, it was, I felt like I was always far enough from home that it wasn't right there, but I was close enough to home to be able to go home when I needed to. How far, how far is Southern uh, Arkansas from? Five hours. Five hours. Okay. Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah, a little five-hour drive. 
Like yeah, that's uh, not too bad. Yeah, it's not, not bad at bad. all. So what was that? How far was uh Southern Arkansas? You say five hours, huh? Five hours. Yeah. How was it? It was good, man. I I'm from small town. It's four thousand people in my hometown to go to Southern Ark with I think thirteen thousand people. So it wasn't oh, yeah. very big. Little division two school. Had about forty five hundred yeah. students. So but it was a it's a sports school. So we had a lot of people from Louisiana. A lot of people from Mississippi, Texas. Um, matter of fact, I think we only had one Arkansas starter on our team. Yeah. On my senior year. Yeah. Yeah. I think we had, what, like 19 Texas starters, um, two Louisiana starters, and a one Arkansas. I could be wrong, but I know it might be more Louisiana starters or – Tell Something me, you like was bulldozing them boys. You was bulldozing them in college, like you was doing. Man, we ran the, the we ran the option. So we ran a lot of one receiver sets. So all I seen was cover one and cover three, right? So they could put an extra man in the box, and I used to crack back a lot. That's how I stayed yeah, involved I in the game because I mean, I remember one game we played West Georgia. We threw the ball five times. We had over five hundred yards rushing. Like, when you run the ball that well, you don't get the rock. So I had to just crack back on people and up. block. and Yeah, but I knew when we played, like, Valdosta and North Alabama and those top D1 school or top D2 schools, uh, we had six schools in the top 25 of D2 in our conference. So yeah, that's not bad. when you played the top schools, like, sideline to sideline, so that option ain't working too well. So I had to go off, and I averaged like I probably averaged about 180 yards on Valdosta, who was always a top three team in the Division Two, because they were going to stop the run. But then they left me man to man, and you're not stopping that. And you you get loose. What? You get loose. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was good though. But I mean, you see, good. my thing was even at Southern Arc, I'm like I'm playing Division Two football. Like, we, we play 1 o'clock. We talking about who's playing at 8 o'clock. You know what I'm saying? Y'all, yeah, y'all. Right? Yeah, so, it's a playing, different vibe. It's a, it's a different vibe to see when you're looking at D1 football and you're looking at these guys that's playing. And you're th- I was thinking, like, all oh, these guys are going to play pro. I was never going to play pro football. I'd go out there and go off on these dudes nah. in Division Two and be like, I mean, that's what I'm supposed to do. Nah, no doubt in no Nicky O'Baller, Nick. I'm telling you, man. It took time, I, I though. I remember when I was in Edmonton, man. I, I remember when I was in Edmonton, I, I couldn't stand when you caught the football. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't stand it, Nick. I couldn't stand it. I'm telling you. I couldn't stand it, man. But there were some good battles back then, man. But you definitely was a baller, man. Man, it took, it took so much time for me to get it mentally. Like, even my senior year, people used to always tell me, can't wait to watch you on TV. Like, man, I ain't playing no football. Yeah, understand it, huh? I'm not playing no pro football. It's to walk on. Like, I'm, you think I'm about to go play pro you football? Went to, you went straight to, you went straight to Calgary, straight from uh, college. Uh, I was projected fifth round pick to the Packers. I was supposed to replace uh, Antonio Chapman as a returner because my senior year I averaged twenty twenty one nine a punt return. Really? I t- yeah, I was a punt returner, man. Nick, how how, how big? How, how much? Well, I was one ninety five. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. I can see that. I, when I came out, I was 195, I running a 454. So yeah, I can see I can see you moving, Nick, because you 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 still was moving, bro. Remember those days at practice? I'll be up, up on the field. I'm running one of those clear out rounds. I'm like, ooh, I told you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going. <laughs> I'm going, man. I'm I used to I used to trip out because like, remember. I, so one of the things I've always done is, if I know the defense and I know I'm not getting the ball, I never look back at the quarterback. I'll run a route, but I'll never go. look back. Yeah. I mean, what I'm looking yeah, back for, if the quarterback throw it, that's his fault. Like, he know he's not supposed to throw it to me because I know he's not supposed to throw it to me. Right. 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 <laughs> I already know. Man. I already know. But you at Louisiana Lafayette, know. did you have early success or how did that come about? Man, I played as a, a true freshman. Um. I think my first game I played, it was against Texas. I had to go against Quentin Jamble. I was 160 mm. pounds. And to be honest with you, man, I had, I had one catch. I had one, it was like a curl or something like that. But um, he didn't, like, he just was a, like, he just played off the whole game. So it wasn't, like, it wasn't really coming to me, man. I was a, just a true freshman. But I tell you, Roy Williams went off, man. Mm. He was a true freshman at the time. I, he was a true freshman. We was all was freshmen at the time. Yeah, he was a true freshman. I was freshman. a freshman then. Yeah, he went off that game, man. And uh, just being in that atmosphere, and uh, I thought it was cool, man. That college football, that's where it was. That, that sparked me up from there, man. Think about this. So when I was coming out, when we were coming out, the top yeah. three receivers in Texas all chose to go to Texas. Roy Williams, B.J. Johnson, and Sloan Thomas. I was like, man, I ain't got a chance. Cause I thought about walking on in Texas. Oh, like out of all those guys, a lot of the guy only guy really had success was what Roy Williams. Roy huh? Williams, yeah. Yeah. BJ Dude, was I, up and down. Yeah, BJ, I, I I can't remember. I can't really remember him too much. I remember the name. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, like um we played Texas A and M. We played uh we played a lot of the Texas team. We played University of Houston. We played. Um, what was your mindset going into uh, those games? Because, you know, you talk to people that go to smaller D1 schools, the D1 AA's, that play those first couple games against top D1 schools. What's your mindset going into it? Is it just, we probably not going to win, but I need to see how I level against these guys? I ain't lying. Nick, I ain't lying. Every time I man, every time I stepped on the field, man, I like I ain't lying. I thought we was gonna win. Like I just I don't know. I I probably I just carried myself like that. Like I, I don't know what it was because I just knew. Like, man, just give me an opportunity. I know we gonna win. You know, and you know, somebody else get an opportunity. I know, you know, like I just that's just how I always play when the Went about football like it always been so competitive like I, I like with football man i play with a to this day man i get on the football field and i i have like this crazy passion about it like like people don't i don't think people really understand like you know what i mean like i yeah. just love it where you think that came you know from what I mean? um i think people just born with it nick yeah. certain people just born with certain things you know what i mean and I just think I I just born I just was born with uh, just kind of when it come down to football I've been like that since I was a child you know I always come if like if you like 
if you make a play, a big time play, right? I remember when uh, we played against Calgary. Remember we, I mean we me, we we had played against y'all in uh, two thousand nine, and uh, right. and uh, and Cope had caught the caught that touchdown that that out route. Cope went off that game. You and Cope yeah. went off that game. Yeah. Um, Cope caught it like a touchdown with like fifty some seconds on the clock, right? Mm-hmm. Some guys may think, man, we lost this game. Like ain't no way in the world. Like I, 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 there was too much time. Like I looked at the clock. I'm like, man, we about to win. I already knew we was gonna win. You know what I mean? Y'all had scored. Then I scored. Then y'all scored. Then Cope scored. Take yeah, the lead. Yeah, it was a, it was a fight. Yeah. yeah, it was a fight. It was a Labor Day it, rematch. It was a fight. It, it was like 39, 36 or something that. like that Cope to finish the game. Yeah, yeah, Cope caught that out route on the back corner. Um, at first he caught that that third down, like on our sideline, like it was like a wheel route or something like that. Caught that yeah. third down, I was like, damn. Henry just dropped back and dropped that down on him. Then he hit him on that out. Um, so it was just like, it was like fifty some seconds, forty some seconds left. And you know Ricky coming to the Ricky locked in. I, you know, I'm, t- <laughs> I'm telling you, nigga, like playing with Ricky Ray was something different, man. Like he just, he just had, like he just had a, he was a real deal quarterback to me, man. Yeah. And, and I just knew he was gonna win, so that's just how it was. But it been some games like, like that. I remember we had another game like that against BC, and G Ray caught a bomb and just took off on us. That like, you know you could do about that, man. Yeah, ain't nothing you could do about that. Those, those are some battles, like the Labor Day Labor Day rematch. We'll get into that. We're gonna get into that. But just when you were in college, what was your best year? My best year in college, um, my junior year, um, as a second receiver uh, in Louisiana history, Louisiana Lafayette uh, history to go for a thousand yards behind Brandon Stokely. Mm. Um, and and I came I came right back my senior and double back double back up, um, and um, it was kind of it was kind of the same situation. I never really had a quarterback to, to to be honest with you because uh I think one like our quarterback we had like one went down with an injury the next one went down with an injury so I had to play with like a freshman but he ended up being a baller you know what I mean yeah. uh, Jerry Babs and then. We just kind of we kind of went on a little winning streak from there, and uh, I, I would say my junior and senior year was my best year. So, when did you believe that you could go pro, or did you always have that belief? Man, when I seen uh, two of my college teammates get drafted in the um, in the NFL, um, that was my junior year. Um, Charles Tillman, um, Peanut, yeah, Peanut. Charles Tillman, Ike Taylor, mm. um, and he had man, he had um, Hall of Fame careers too, man. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Ike won two Super Bowls. Peanut, he's just been a uh, like a Pro Bowl, like. And those guys we had, and then we had a uh, Kyrus Abair. Uh, we had. I didn't know you school with. I didn't know you went to school with Kyrus. Yeah, man, we had a really good. We had a really good uh, defense. And just to see those guys, I think Kyrus went to Minnesota at the time, and um, that's when it kind of dawned to you, like, man, like I really could take this to the next level. Then you start to hear the little, 
interpreters in the ears and the agents stuff to try to contact you and stuff like that and you know trying to convince you to come out your junior year and forget about your senior that just but um yeah my junior year my junior year that's that's the year when i um kind of okay man i could do something with this now coming out of college what was the process like how did you find your agent or how did you choose your agent and then how man, did that lead you man i didn't get an agent until a month before the draft um man we had a i had a guy uh um he he pretended to be an agent mm. <laughs> you know like a uh, <laughs> like a neighborhood you know guy that kind of you know one of those slick talking guys you know what i mean pretending to be an there. agent yeah man he he was pretending to be an agent and um he actually was a guy that kind of always came around when he was in high school like you know what i mean like just always kind of lingered around you'll see him pull up in the bands, oh, he that's that's such a touch guy, you know what I mean? You young, so you don't really pay attention to too much and stuff, or you don't really know too much. Um, but man, I didn't find out he wasn't an agent, he wasn't certified until um March, and the draft was in April, yeah. So, you know, nobody really knows what's going on, you know what I mean? Um, just off the just off of my college coaches, uh, uh my receiver coach, and my um, uh, my high, my uh, my college coach head coach kind of like you know had me visit uh the jacksonville jaguars and you know i went took a visit to the ravens and stuff like that because that's the team that that's the teams that was interested in um draft drafting me but you know nobody really had too much of um of you know nobody really didn't know too much because i didn't have nobody to represent me yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? so that's just kind of how it was but um man i i I wouldn't change nothing for the world, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? Because I, uh, I, I enjoyed every piece of it. How'd you find the new agent? I found I, I actually found my, uh, my agent through my uh, college coach, my, my receiver okay. coach. He, he got me in contact with the agent, and um, that's how I got that's how I got into Edmonton, man. My, uh, um, after Jacksonville, Paul Jones, um. I got hooked up with an agent from out of Atlanta, so I got to Jacksonville. Um, Paul Jones was down in um, Jacksonville watching me, watching me uh, in practice and stuff like that. I remember seeing him too. I ain't gonna lie to you. I didn't know who the cat was, but I remember seeing the big, uh, big Paul Jones he do with that man. And um, you know, I ain't really get a chance to talk to him. I left Jacksonville. Um, I dislocated my collarbone. I set out for a couple months. Then I went to Baltimore, um, like late September um I went to Baltimore late October early November and um finished the year out there um played up until Katrina hit the day of Katrina was the day Katrina was supposed to hit New Orleans we played the Saints and we played in the Superdome so my grandparents got to see me play football in the Superdome the day before Hurricane Katrina wow. <laughs> We flew back to Baltimore that night. Katrina hit uh, that Monday. I got released that day, that Monday. That's yeah, crazy. got released that day. Jacksonville picked me up. I ended up in Jacksonville, right back in Jacksonville. Then um, after Jacksonville, I ended up in Edmonton. So that was it, man. Played in Jacksonville, stayed in Jacksonville, Jacksonville for a year, that year, and ended up in Edmonton the following year. 
Man, that's so crazy to to think about, you know, getting released like that right when all the chaos is hitting. Oh man, I that's Nick, that's something that I, I never forget, man. I remember the, you know, they <laughs> remember on the hard knock how they be recording cats coming in to uh getting released and stuff yeah. like that. Man, I remember going into the uh the coach's office and uh them sitting me down and I remember seeing the uh the TV on and I see Katrina, the hurricane moving mm. towards the waters. I'm like, man, I'm about to get released and I don't have nowhere to go, man. You know what I mean? Because my family evacuated to Houston. At the time, we didn't know nobody in Houston. And um, I just was like, man, I, it's just so, you know, I just was happy that I had a chance, opportunity to stay in Baltimore for a couple of weeks before Jacksonville had snatched me up. So Jacksonville didn't waste no time. They had picked me up quick. So you knew Paul Jones or you knew, you seen him. You know, Paul Jones is the only guy that knew who I was in college. He wanted yeah, me in Edmonton. Guy, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. yeah. He would call my OC. He was like, we want this guy. But um, that's you know what's crazy? Story. You know what's crazy, Nick? What's that? I got a call. I got a call from uh, who, was in, who was in Calgary at the time? As what, what coach? Like the? The GM. Jim Barker? Um, uh, TSN right now. Um, Matt Dunnigan. Matt Dunn. Matt Dunn called me. They tried to get me in Calgary the day of the draft. Yeah, 2004. Yeah, he tried to, he called me and tried to get me to Calgary. I didn't know. I'm like, Canadian football? What's going on? Like, what? Tried to get me into the draft. Yep, but I ended up watching a Canadian football game Um, one day. Um. I didn't know what it was. I'm like, it was came on late at night, and I seen uh, Jason Tucker catch a touchdown, had a do rag on, tied up. <laughs> and I'm like, man, Green, that, look, I thought it was the Packers, and it ended up being the Edmonton Eskimos. I didn't know who they was, man. But Matt Dunnigan was the first first team that contacted me from the CFL, like the Calgary Stampeders. You know, I was the last person signed to the roster that year. Yeah. Yeah. 2004, man. I got signed three days before training camp. I always assumed somebody didn't show up or somebody wasn't going to make it. How how was it? How was it like your first year up there? It's crazy. It was the hardest year ever. Um, Training camp was two, three-hour practices. Full pads every day. Uh, Both practices. Um, We might have went shells or helmets maybe four times the whole training camp and it, it was just like non-stop John Jenkins was the OC um, so we were always you wasn't on, you wasn't sitting on the side so if you were they were doing special teams you were catching passes so we would run around the goalposts like you'd have a quarterback on the five yard line a quarterback five yards in the end zones or ten yards in the end zone ten yard line and two lines like this and you run on your side of the goalpost and you catch get in this line, come back, catch. You're always catching balls. You're always – had a dude uh, – he going to hate me right now because I just went blank. But drop ball. He just call your number or say your name, drop ball, catch, drop ball, catch. So they charted every drop, every catch. You go in there and see all your stats, quarterbacks. The quarterback's arms were so dead. I remember the first preseason game. Uh, we had a quarterback, can't remember his name. 
he went to throw a five yard out into the boundary and the ball barely made it to the line of scrimmage. Wow. His arm was done. And my, my dad sat beside his uh, wife and people were booing and stuff. We're at home. And he felt so bad. So Dang. I went in with um, Albert Connell, uh, who had a thousand yards in the NFL with the Redskins, played Texas A&M. Uh, Wayne McGarity, who was at Texas. Um, Salacio Sanford, who played for the Chicago Bears. And, like, I'm coming straight out of college. Division II walk-on, straight out of college to the pros. And these are the type of people I'm competing with. I've seen you play. I'm, you know, my family's huge A&M fan. I'm a huge Texas fan. Right. I've watched Wayne since day one. But that was my motivation. Like, you're going you're gonna to know who I am. Like, I'm going to show you I belong here. Right. right. And that was the competition phase. But, yeah, that year was, you know, Darnell McDonald was there. That, that year was um, – it was just hard. Like, hard days, man. It's just – some guys didn't care about winning and losing there, but you know, a lot of people just happy to have jobs. Um, I wouldn't say the coaching was the greatest. Um, but you know, that's the, that's what you go through, right? This, I thought that's what pro football was. It wasn't until 2005 when Cope and Rambo and Marte Jenkins and uh, Hank and, you know, Joffrey got to the last five games in 2004. Um, and then we had Barado as the OC, but Tom Higgins yeah, yeah. as the head coach. So it was like, wasn't until the end that I was like, this is totally different than last year. Yeah. Yeah, y'all had some bad boys um, with Cope and Rambo and all those guys, man. Yeah, that was fun. Had some bad boys, man. I mean, I, man, Rambo, like, I, man, I used to love to watch that dude play when I first got to the league, man. That dude's special. Yeah, man, he was nice, man. He was nice. That dude. He can run any route in the playbook. He's yeah, run he that. He's he run that. X, uh, yeah, he's run that stutter comeback and that uh, that wheel comeback. Cool. Yeah, he was smooth. He was smooth. He definitely was smooth with it. He was smooth with it. That's one thing that I uh, I appreciate about the CFL game, man. Like you see so many cold blooded, like like you just see playmakers week in and week out. You know what I mean? And um, I appreciate that. You know what I mean? Because like. If you're a football player, and you know, just just put yourself just put yourself in in, you know, the day before the game, you watching the other team, you know, you watching other teams play. You know what I mean? Yeah. You want to see them make plays. You see them make plays. Okay, man. Shit. SJ going off. Nick going off. Man. Chad going off. Come on, let's let's go off. You know what I mean? That's that's just how that's, that's just how it's supposed to be, man. You know what I mean, and I I used to love that shit, man. I used to love that's just something about the uh, the CFL game, man. Week in and week out, you see playmakers, and uh, man, oh, that was like Rambo. I'm gonna tell you, Rambo. I used to love watching Rambo play. All in, all in was a playmaker. You know, of Ooh. course, you Knicks, SJ, Arlen's uh, animal. Yeah. I think I ain't gonna lie to you. Used to make plays. I just hate it when you made plays on us, bro. Cause it's like <laughs> nobody can never tackle you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like nobody can never tackle you, bro. And I just like I used to enjoy watching y'all play, man. Cope all y'all, man. For real. That used to be me. Cope and Rambo used to always be in the locker room, and we would all have our celebrations. And we'd all like have everything kind of like scripted or whatever. 
But then it was like, I didn't want him to have a better play than me. Like one time in 2009 or 2010, the first game Rambo came back, he caught a slant on Montreal, a slant and took it 100. First game back off a torn ACL. I think I remember that. Take it 100. I think that's I the game that. I ran over Marcus Steele. I said, I went to him on the side and I said, Ram, I can't score from 100. But I catch the next 140 and in, I promise Drop. I'm scoring. I dropped. That was your thing, 40 and, and in. You, and you that's when that. I ran that flat route and I ran over Marcus Steele, cut back and went and scored. Yeah. Did you ever have anybody like that that you just competed with on a daily basis? I know you play with Kelly Campbell, but I don't know how Kelly's, like, what his perspective was. Did you ever have any receivers? that you would battle and it was like we competing against each other. It didn't really matter about the defense. I tell you a receiver that I used to love working with, man. Um, I didn't, we, we came in together and he left, uh, Mo man, Mo man, Mo's man. Yeah, man. Because like he, Mo man was one of those guys that, um, like he just carries so much energy, yeah. you know what I mean? And it is, it's all the good energy, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, he gonna make a play. Um, and I, I remember, uh, I think it was back in uh in 09, we playing against Saskatchewan. And uh, like we just Ricky Ray just going, that was 10, I can't re- I can't remember, but Ricky Ray was up for like a completion. Like, you know, he was like 21 completion straight or something like that. And uh, me and Mo, we just everybody just going off. Ricky, all the receivers going off. And uh, it was like Mo caught the 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 game winner. And it just, it wasn't like he was compete with him. It just was like, man, like, that's just the energy you expect coming from your teammate. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you gonna make a play, I'm gonna make the next big play. You know Raise what I mean? Like, I came, I came and caught a, a, a nice big first down, then Mo come right back on the top with, and Ricky come right back on the top to Mo. You know what I mean? Off of, you know, it, that's just something that drives each other. You know what I mean? It's never like any type of thing between them. It's just like you competing. Yeah. To make the next play, that makes sense. What I'm saying, hundred percent. And that's 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 that carry a long way, man. You know, but you yeah, my man was that guy. You talk about like top receivers and like the CFL, and you you're looking when we're playing like Chad Owens, you, yeah. Kelly Campbell, Mo Man, Jason Barnes, um, you know, uh, G Roy. Yeah, man. You know. Even that Winnipeg team in 08 with Milt and uh, Romby uh, Bryant. Yeah, Romby. They had uh, T. Edwards, right? Terrence Edwards. Yeah. And they had uh, uh, D. Strong. Yeah, D. Strong. Yeah, them boys was cold, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, you you had receivers. I think that's when they had the Canadian Air Force. Yeah, but you – Right, SAS with Getzlaff and – Look at Montreal when they had S.J. Jay Rich, uh, Cahoon, mm-hmm. and uh, Watkins. Sammy Watkins, Brian Bratton. Yeah. Not not Sam. Oh, what's the guy? Oh, he played uh, X. Yeah. Kerry uh, Watkins. Kerry Watkins. Yeah. Them boys was cold, too. Like, you just going through the list, just looking at all these top receivers. Yeah, man. And you're seeing all this. And, and like, like Sass, I think had Gesslaff and Dressler and Fantus. Man, I was a I was a huge Dressler fan, man. Dressler's hey, he played Dressler cold like he Dressler he played big. Play. Yeah, he played big like Chad the same way, man. I remember uh, me and Chad being in Jacksonville, like 
Chad, man, like he always made plays. You know what I mean? And like, like I always like that's just something you always appreciate, man. But I that's the type of guys I used to like watching all the time, man. Cause Dressler catch that ball and go. You know the only thing that bothered me about Chad and Dressler? Was that? On corner routes and deep balls, they slow down so they can dive. You 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 It's like it's like you're watching film and they run at full speed, then they'll slow down, and then they'll dive and make a great catch. It's like he didn't man, have to, to do that. Man, come <laughs> to think about come to think about it, Nick, you're 100 percent right, man. They they'll want to make the, the uh catch more spectacular, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Being extra with the catch. That could have been a routine catch. You know what? You know what? If you look at SJ, SJ kind of do the same thing. SJ super drag just to make sure it looks pretty. He huh? will, he will. <laughs> but you know, SJ's all about flair. SJ's a quiet yeah. flair guy. Man, as he he's a he he's so finesse with it though, man. So finesse with it, man. When we played together in Montreal, when I think one of the biggest things for me was seeing his work ethic. Man, I tell guys that all the time. Yeah, we all worked hard. Yeah, I think like, it rubbed off on a lot of those guys seeing that, you know, us three we went hard at practice. Yeah, right. I yeah. learned that from Cope and Rambo and, and and those guys like Rombi and. Like that's how you gotta get it done. This wasn't a bullshit session. You gotta go. Yeah, man. We used to we used to we used to have fun. I I Montreal, man, I tell you, man, Montreal wasn't one thing about Montreal, I could I could say, man, I, I really enjoyed the locker room. You know, I got to be around like all the guys like the SJU, um, um, Chip Cox and uh John Bo. Like, man, there was a lot of there was a lot of good guys, you know what I mean? And um, yeah. just playing against the playing against y'all guys for years and you know, getting a chance to be in the same locker room, man, that 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 really was something that I, I cherish, man, because um even though it wasn't too good in Montreal, if you think about it, I mean the quarterbacks we played it with in one season. <laughs> what it was nine quarterbacks in one season? Dude. We had <laughs> we had three and three plays. Yeah. Um, Remember, Lefevre called the play wrong, went the wrong way towards ACL on his first play. Yeah. Then Bridge I, was coming in. Yeah, man. But Montreal definitely was some good times, man. Definitely was some good times. Even if being in the same room with Anthony Calvillo, you know what I mean? Like, that's guys that you you seen all your career across the line from you, you know? And yeah. them Hall of Famers right there, man. I would say that's probably the best top three teams I played on. Like, if yeah. you just look at the – just – you remember training camp. We had Steph Logan, Chris Rainey, uh, Brandon Whitaker, Tyrell Sutton, Brandon Rudley, and Jewel Hampton as Man, running backs. A, as running backs. As, I as remember we went played Ottawa the first game, and they were running – we had over 250 yards rushing. Yeah. Then we I played BC, that. and we had over 300 yards rushing. Yeah. Like, them boys, them boys was cold-blooded, man. Them boys – man, I still think Steph could play in the league. Oh, yeah. Steph still got wheels, man. Dude, Steph is amazing. He still got wheels, man. And I, I, I think Rutley, man. I thought I always thought Rutley um, was he just was so underrated. Like he, he was so smooth. Like he just a, a nice playmaker, man. And Sutton, Sutton gonna run clean over you. Yeah. Sutton just was a power back. I used to like blocking for Sutton. I ain't gonna lie to you. He had set I, you up so smooth. I had a rut last year in BC. Yeah. 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 I know Ooh. he went, he had a pretty good year last year. The last year you had him, huh? He started three games, three or four games, and he averaged eighty-five yards a game. 
and we only ran the ball like 12 times a game. That's Rutt was that's, getting off. Like, I always said, like, John was a – Oh, yeah, y'all had – Like, John, John – So, White. you play with John, right? He's special. John is special. He's special. But the thing was, after the injuries, he's not the same back anymore. But he can still be great. Right. And that's one of the biggest things I was telling John is, like, look, here's the deal. You still can be great. Like, he had his first 1,000-yard season in his history last year. Yeah. Right. So I was like, look, this is how you do it. You got to know the game. And that's when I started teaching them uh, fronts and everything. They didn't know fronts. So when they learned the fronts, he'd come to the sideline and goes, man, this is easy. Right. That's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> if you Nick, learn it, lie, that's how it's supposed to lie. be. I ain't going to lie to you, Nick. Like, you, that's, you, you're a natural coach, man. Like, I remember being in uh in, in Montreal, man, and you, like, you having a quarterback at receiver. <laughs> you know everything. <laughs> You know what I mean, and man, that, that's a that's a good that's a good look for you, man. Like you're a natural coach, man. Yeah, and that's a natural. No, those right guys there, were man. those guys were awesome. You know, yeah. having I wanted both of them on the roster more of the year, but you know, because I have them both on, I keep them both healthy, and right. and they're both so good. And Rudd took a kickoff return to the house. I see. But they they were still saying they wanted a, a returner. I'm like, why do we need a returner? Like, it's better to have two of these guys on offense. Yeah. Rutt can catch the ball. I mean, yeah, Rutt definitely catch. right? So, but yeah. But when you got traded from Edmonton to Montreal, what went through your mind? You did so much for Edmonton. Oh, my God. Like, um, it's just that, it's just that, um, like, that, that right there, I, w I was just kind of like, it almost it just took the air out of me. You know what I mean? It just took the air out. I just was like just deflated. Yeah. Um, and then it was like to be honest with you, it was in a it was like a situation that I feel like I didn't have any control of. Like I it wasn't that I was trying to get control, I just was trying to get control of of like my personal space, you know, my my stuff that I could control. It's just like, you know, it's just I didn't my my hands was tied on everything, man. And um, I just, when it went to Montreal, it's just, you know, I just, I'm fortunate that I got a chance to be around you guys. And, um, you know, I just, I just wanted my career to end a little, a, a bit different than it did in Montreal. That makes sense? Yeah. 100%. So, yeah. But it's, it, you know, it's all good. Like I said, I didn't, like I, I dealt with it. Like, man, like I still go play football and, you know, I just, after that, man, my kids came and, you know, life kind of moved on. So I was like, nah, my body, I'm, I'm done, you know? So everything got the, the, the right timing for everything. So I just take it as it goes. Yeah. In um, January, I believe it's the 23rd, Ani's birthday. Yeah. I see you at Petway's daughter's uh, event. In Remember that? Yeah, January of 2015. And you was like, what are you doing? I said, man, I'm probably retiring. I'm probably going to go coaching SAS. Yeah. You're like, nah, man, won't you come to Montreal? Come to Montreal. What happened? Did you call Pop? Man, I um, I think I... Because like a week I, later, Pop added me on... I Facebook. think I, I, I think I mentioned... I think we, we mentioned something. I mentioned something. Um, It was uh, UNCT. Yeah. Um, like, I, like, to be honest with you, Nick, I just wanted to... 
Like Montreal, I'm gonna tell you, Montreal was one, a place where I, every time I played football, every time we traveled to, my, I didn't like to, I didn't like to go to Montreal. Why Anytime that? we, and I just, it was like I didn't like it because I didn't understand French. I didn't know what to eat. I didn't know, you know, I just didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, and you didn't hang out like I hung out. Yeah, like you know, I didn't really. Montreal just wasn't like, you know, it wasn't for me. Like when I was in Edmonton, I was like, man, one place I don't want to play is Montreal. You know I was scared I mean? of Montreal when I was younger. Yeah, and it's just like you cut on TV, you, you can't you can't watch a good movie. Everything is French. Like it just was a place. Me being young at the time, Montreal was X'd out of my list. You know what I mean? Because I got to travel around Canada early. You know, yeah. When I first got there. Um, but when I got there and I started to be around the guys, man. Um, I started to enjoy Montreal, hanging out with you. You like you, you made it fun. I ain't gonna lie to you. You know what I mean. We said to start dragging out of the house, young Cody. Yeah, Cody. I talked to James the other day too, two days ago. Um, and you know, it just you know, hanging out with the guys and you know, SJ and like I say, all those guys in the locker room, man. They made it kind of feel. They made it feel cool. But um, other than that, you know, it was, you know, I wanted I wanted to help you know, family in Montreal. And I always say like, okay, let's go, you know? Yeah. And that was, for me, it was like crazy because cause I was looking at it like, I just talked to Fred. Now Pop has added me on Facebook. Maybe I'm going to Montreal. Because yeah. Corey Chamberlain told me, he was like, well, I think you still have a desire to play. I was like, well, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm good with my career. The only thing is I was like, I didn't want my ankle to take me out of it to end my career yeah and that's what it was so but yeah once i got there man it was definitely like you said earlier i've been going against chip for years you know uh we had been battling for years sj yeah um, so everybody over there and it was just like it just felt good yeah just to kind of be around like there was, there was some really good guys in that locker room man john Bowman, just the, man. just the atmosphere of the the team, the team atmosphere was a really good team uh, environment, man. And um, that's, I, I appreciate that. Like you say, with the, uh, the way SJ worked, like, you know, you, you see these guys playing, but you don't, under, you know, you don't never see him work. Just see the way yeah. he worked, man. Like he, his work ethic is unbelievable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it definitely was some good times, man. When you look back at everything you've done from where you came from in New Orleans, to how you feel about it man i i love it man you know i i love it man and i uh i just look at you know me as a child because i could kind of remember back as a as a young boy and to a young man down in new orleans and just understanding the you know the opportunities that i had that a lot of people didn't didn't get an opportunity to get you know they didn't have the same opportunities um I enjoyed every bit of it, man. I enjoyed every bit of it. You know, you take you take your lessons and you you learn from them, and you know, you take it all as it come, and you try to, you know, just learn from every single thing. And yeah. I enjoyed every bit of it, man. You know, I enjoyed every the CFL game. Um, I appreciate it a lot. Like I tell I tell guys all the time, um, you know, because you, you work out with guys. Uh, you may see run across guys that fresh out of college. They don't they don't know nothing about the Canadian Football League. 
everything is, you know, just NFL, you know. So what if I tell you you could be a, a star in another league? You yeah. know what I mean? They, they still give you opportunity to get where you want to get, to be where you want to be. Very respectable, Very respectable, too. Yeah, most definitely, man. Most definitely. You're one of the greatest to ever do it, man. Man, you one of the greatest to ever do it, man. <laughs> you feel me? We wanted the same, you know, and now yeah, I, I was so glad that I got to suit up with you because after games, I don't think people understood how much, how hurt. But the two people that's always take losses the worst, not the worst, but like took it hard is you and John Bowman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember seeing John just like tear up after games and it just hurt me. And it's like, I wanted to be better because I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Because he was my teammate. Most definitely. And then there were times where I remember some of those rematches and some of those games at Edmonton and, you know, you'd come across and you'd just be teared up and you'd just like, you know, it's me and Cope. We all hug each other, you know what I'm saying? Because me and Cope always had love for you because like, man, this dude's yeah. solid. He's not just a yeah. solid player. He's a solid dude too. And, you know, sometimes – you might have felt outgunned, right? Yeah. We had Joffrey and Cope and Rambo and and everybody, and and it was one of those things where, um, you know, it was just special to see that and to have that bond, and then to be able to um, play in thirteen together or fifteen yeah. together. It 15, was just, yeah. it was just, it was just really special. Most definitely, man. And looking back on the memories, man, it's just. It's always such a good thing to to have those memories of those times and you know, even just coming over the house and just hanging out with the music on and yeah, you know what I'm saying, James and Cody playing Xbox and, and you <laughs> yeah. just be hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Well you was one you was cooking fish fry yeah. or something. So everything was a lot of fun. And Most uh, definitely. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your, your work. I appreciate your effort. I appreciate what you do now. And, you know, just being the man you are, man, you're a positive role model for so many. Man, and you were never loud. You were never loud. Like me, yeah. I'm loud. So you were never loud. So sometimes your voice is never heard. And I'm glad today that people will hear the voice and, and know who Fred Stamps was and is as a man. Man, for sure, man, for sure. How can people get a hold of you, man? If there's any kids in Houston that's looking to train, uh, right now I'm just I just I just started the Instagram. Um, I just have my Instagram. <laughs> that's about it. I'm I'm not too savvy with the, the social media or anything <laughs> like that. What's the yeah, handle? Uh, uh Fred Snaps. Um, okay. Let me, see. let me make sure. Because <laughs> I don't even. I'm telling you the truth. I don't, I go in there and I I just be liking everybody. Because my wife be like, "What you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> How's she doing? Man, she good, man. That's Fred awesome. Stamps underscore. Fred yep. Stamps underscore. Yeah, man. So, but some most of the time my kids have my phone, so if they post anything, if they be, if you see anything crazy, <laughs> post it. It's them. <laughs> Two twin boys, so the, the phone will stay tied up, man. That's a blessing. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Anything? Any last words, man? That you want to say to anybody who's listening to this that might feel like until today they didn't have a chance to make it to where they want to make it to or man. felt some type of way. What would you say to them? Just keep pushing, never give up. 
never give up. Uh, sky's the limit. Keep golf first, and always work hard. Like it's meant, it's meant for us to have anything that we want, Nick. All we have to do is believe in it and go get it. You know what That's I mean? It. That's it, man. Man, I appreciate you, brother. Hundred percent, my brother. All love. This is another episode of Lulu Logic Podcast. We out. Peace.